You're listening to Tarot Visions. You lucky devil. Well, hey there, Rose. How's it going this week for you? Not bad, Charles. How are you? Uh, très bien. I had a great uh, week because I correctly predicted the outcome of the Super Bowl with Lenormand and Tarot. That's right. Uh, I predicted a narrow win for the Patriots. So and doesn't that make you feel good when you're like, <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh well, there's the terror. There's the abject terror of, oh my God. Maybe there's nothing to all of this, and I've devoted my life to these pieces of cardboard that have no truth, and we're all just chemicals. And then then your team wins, and by your team, I mean the one you predicted, and right. you feel great. And then your least favorite blogger got it wrong, and you feel even better. So ah, well, that was my weekend. How about you? Um, I actually was getting excited because, uh, yes, there was that sports ball. Yay! But um, my life is pretty good because my brother's moving, and I get my house back. And I get to talk to some really cool people, and PantheaCon is coming up. And so I'm getting very excited about that. Woohoo! I have a question for you. Yes. Who's that strange woman who's in the room with us? Oh, the gorgeous one over there? Well, that's Jamie Elford. Oh. Yes. Hi, Jamie. Hi, guys. How are you? We're great. We're great. Um, so tonight we get to talk to Jamie about, uh, well, Jamie Land, really. Uh, Jamie and I met. Goodness, seven years ago at Bats in 2007. Um, and uh, she's been doing some awesome things in Tro, and so I thought it would be great to have her on the show. She's coming out for uh, Pantheacon this year, and um, she's doing a lot of interesting things, so I will shut up and let her talk for a few seconds. Uh, I don't mind if you talk, it's okay. But yeah, um, I'm excited. Yes, I um, am coming to Pantheacon. I am not going to be teaching any classes, but I will be attending all the divination specialization style classes and running around and hanging out with my friends. And this year I um, created a series of ribbons for people. So I'm going to be having about 100, 250 ribbons that say live a tarot inspired life, which is something I like to say, but it's also the title of a book that I've been working on the past couple of years, and it's also the domain name, um, tarotinspiredlife.com, for my tarot practice. So how would you define a uh, tarot-inspired life? That is a great question. That's why I asked. Uh, oh, you guys get the good ones. I have been playing with tarot since I was 13. I just turned 40 last year. Woohoo! Yes, I'm now on the... the downward side or the the more wizened side I guess of life and um when I started out there wasn't a whole lot in Colorado for tarot enthusiasts I had a deck and I had no idea how to do anything with it including readings I didn't really grok a Celtic cross spread so I just kind of would lay the cards out and then take photographs and put them away fast forward high school and college where I um, got more interested in anthropology and culture, religion, myth, and magic, and symbolism for English. And, of course, that all led me back to the cards because the cards were filled with these cool images, pictures, and things that you could get from them, whether it's an actual tarot reading, because by then I learned, ooh, what is a tarot reading? And, hey, how do you use other spreads and whatnot? And how do you read for yourself or for others? 
And I learned all that. And I went, this is kind of cool. But what else can I do with these things? I don't want to just have it sit in my black silk line bag and not have anybody touch them because that is what I was told in the 80s and all those other myths. I was I wanted to incorporate the cards and decks into my life. So I learned how to write stories from them. Mm-hmm. Or create friends with them. I um, you created friends with them? Yeah, I would create. I make imaginary friends out of them and ask them questions. Ah, okay. You know, just conversational. Um, the cats that I have love to sit on the cards. So there are times when I'm reading for others or whatnot, and the cat comes by and sits on one. I'm like, by the way, the cat has decided that uh, this card needs to be looked at a little bit more. So then we talk about why that might be, you know, an important thing or an event. And years, uh, a couple of years ago, when the Shadowscapes Tarot came out, and that's published by Llewellyn and done by Stephanie Pooman Law, uh-huh. it didn't come with a really nice tuck box. So I actually did something that I have never done before, and that was learn how to crochet. And for people that have known me for a long time, I'm more of a art-based or a writer, you know, um, style, hands-on type of artist and Uh do fabric arts very well I barely know how to sew and crochet or knitting has been like you know one of those magical source things that I would never learn and yet I had a friend a couple of friends actually teach me how to crochet and I've been making two different styles of crocheted bags for the cards ever since oh wow so I I can honestly say I kind of knew that part about you because I happen to have two no I have three of your crochet bags Two of them specifically because I asked you to make them and they were wonderful because they are, what, Wonder Woman inspired. We are all surprised. Yep. So what was your first deck, first off? Okay. And, and then how did that influence you to look at more art and, and, and that sort of thing within the cards? Well, my first deck was the Witches Tarot. And oh, the Ellen Cannon Reed one? Yeah. Completely that- devoid of any witches? Go on. Yes. And I was, like I said, I was 13, and I got it at uh, Walden Books in the Westminster Mall, which it's in Colorado, and it no longer exists. Okay. But I just remember the colors, the the vivid colors, the way the people sat on the card, and especially, I think, the um, High Priestess and the Empress, and just the interestingness of this, you know, here's a 78-card playing deck of stuff that you can do. Uh-huh. And it came with just an LWB, little white book, uh-huh. and with all these just one-word meanings and stuff. And I remember being completely confused, going, wait a minute, what? You mean I'm supposed to memorize all this stuff? And uh-huh. then I play out the 10-card Celtic cross, the ancient Celtic cross. Mm-hmm. And, and then I was trying, like, wait, each one of these, so wait, I need to pick a, a word that, wait, you know, this, this horse part's supposed to be me, and I need to, uh, three of stones, or, you know, three of wands, or whatever, uh, wait, what does that mean? I have to pick one of these, or does all these apply, and then I have to somehow make sense of everything, so it just confused me, but I loved the images, there were, there were stories in those images, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they were like snapshots in time. Oh, okay. I think that's why I started just taking photographs of them. You know, like I'd do a spread, take a picture, and then, you know, eventually get it developed. And my mom would be like, what is this? Why are you taking pictures of cards? And it it caught my eye. Back in the day when people had to actually develop pictures versus iPhoning them. Yeah. 
And yet, you know, we still do that. Like when I take classes with um, Anastasia or um, the last class I took with uh, Karen Kresper, you know, um, they had set up a long distance class for me because I'm based here in Portland, Oregon, mm-hmm. and they are in um, California. I ended up using my phone, the camera phone, to mm-hmm. take images to send back to them to share my spreads and my insights so that they could see what I was seeing even though we were in a long distance area. Nice. So tele- doing kind of a teleglass. Yes. Yes. So, you know, it kind of comes full circle in that regard. Mm -hmm. But I I guess for me to answer the rest of that question is the witch's tarot caught my eye for just the vividness, but I didn't really connect that much with the pictures and the stories in the card, even though I could read, you know, looking back with what I know now, I'm like, oh, I I can understand the stories. But back then I didn't know that they were stories. Uh I just knew that there were meanings, there were pictures. They I couldn't figure out how to unlock it. Mm-hmm. And then I, my second deck, the one I actually started learning to actually do tarot correct, quote unquote, correctly, was the Handel Tarot. And ah. I got that because it had culture, it had rune stuff, it had all this other things, and more importantly, it had a two-volume set of books by Rachel Pollock, who actually described the symbolism in the cards instead of those. This card means this, you know, this word, this word, this word, this word, and then you pick one and hope, you know, pray that it fits kind of mentality. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's why we love Rachel, because she is very uh, good at doing descriptions and giving us meaning and and what have you. Um, So so that's where you started. And nowadays, I know because you live in the pack Northwest. You get to live by a bunch of really cool people who create decks, Um, you know, like Ellen Lorenzi Prince and stuff. So can you tell us a little bit about some of the stuff that you're seeing that we don't get to see as often? Well, I'm lucky because Ellen lives in the same town that I live in, and we get together um, a couple of times a year, just the two of us, but we also try and get together, her, me, her, and a few others in the Portland area, as well as the Pac Northwest to do the Cascadia Tarot Symposium. It's it's just a group of us right now that meet at someone's house and we pull cards and share decks or trade decks or books or knowledge and whatnot of what we've been doing. But it's fun to meet up at Ellen's house because whatever new project she's working on and she is really prolific. She's awesome. Love you, Ellen. If you're listening, um, I get to see all the, art for that new deck. Um, a lot of people may or may not know how a deck's created, and they might think that the images you see on the deck were created at that same size. It's not always that case. Mm-hmm. Like, when I got to see Stephanie Pullman Law's stuff um, 10 years ago when the deck before the deck was created, she had them on beautiful 8 by 14 boards, just the painting and the, the layers of the inks and the watercolor pencils and etc. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll I'll take this big size and use that as the deck. Um, and then it'd course, be hard to shuffle though. Yeah, but oh my God, these beautiful you know images. You see the the ink. You see these things that you might not see after they're miniaturized onto the um, cardstock and the paper that we know as the actual deck. Mm-hmm. So it's amazing that um, like when I go to Ellen's and I see her eight and a half by eleven drawings, you see each individual pen stroke of the, the Prismacolors that she uses and whatnot. And then she'll tell you about each of the images and what they mean. And you really get a real sense, a real connection behind all those images. Mm-hmm. 
Now, we also have Linnea um, Weatherstone, who also lives in Portland. Mm-hmm. And she's done um, many um, other decks. The Victorian Fairies Tarot, the mm-hmm. Mystical Cats deck, and I know there's others, and I can't recall them right now, but she'll bring her own decks, as well as Ellen. Both Ellen and Linnea use the decks they created for oh, us in our groups. How cool is that? It's it's awesome. Like, um, Ellen uses both her Minoan, which just came out, and mm-hmm. so you have my copy sitting right next to me. I'm petting it, so. That means you're bringing it to Fantheagon. Great. Yes, I'd be happy to. Mm-hmm. She, but she uses her Minoan and her Dark Goddess Tarot, and she'll pull the, the cards from each deck, and then she'll talk about them. And it's not just like, this card means this. She'll talk about, with the Minoan, the history behind the Minoans, and how that relates to the card. Oh, or very cool. Stuff herself and how that relates to what's going on in her life and with Linnea she does the same thing she'll um, read from one of her decks or she might read a deck that she knows nothing about just because it'll help tease her brain but if you read from one of her decks she will give you insights about how that picture came to be or why they decided to pose on the Hierophant card for the Mystic Cats the way they did and she, it's fun, I think, for them to hear what we pick up on it and go, you got it, you you nailed it, or I never thought of it that way, but that's just cool the way you described it onto their own decks. So CATS is an open group. If you're in the Portland or the Pac Northwest area and you'd like to come and hang out with um, a bunch of ladies and occasionally gentlemen to hang out and talk tarot on afternoons, feel free to give me a buzz. And I'm sure that Rose and Charlie will put my information on the show notes and whatnot, and we'd be happy to have you. We have people come from um, all around, mostly Portland, but Teresa Michelson also comes down from Olympia. So we've got an eclectic group to hang out with. Speaking of that sort of nice part of the world, that famous for uh, Bigfoot and now tarot conferences, there's something coming up. Can you tell us a little bit about the big tarot gathering you have in store? Yes. So for the first time ever, the Pac Northwest has its own tarot symposium. Mm-hmm. It's, it newts. it's the Northwest Tarot Symposium, and it's put on by Devera Publishing, who they publish tarot decks and other books. They um, distributed the Dynamic Spreads deck that our friend Bill Tarot made, and they have decided that Pack Northwest didn't really have much for tarot, and it's our turn. So on March 6th through 8th, a lot of people are going to descend into Portland and talk tarot and hang out and have our own flavor variant of the tarot symposiums like bats or lats or the land of enchantment, whatever the other ones used to be. <laughs> Absolutely. And I am going to be presenting um, a class called Inspiring the Muse, which is one of my favorite classes, one of my first and oldest classes. And actually, that's actually kind of how Rose and I met because mm. Her husband, Andrew, took my class way back when. It's all about creative writing and tarot and how you can use the cards at any level. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to know anything about the cards. And you don't also have to be a published writer or a famous writer or anything to write with these things. And it's just playing with the cards and how you can create characters, plots, and settings. And we'll just sit and write and learn how to use some spread focuses that some other people and myself have created and have a good old time. And that class is at 1.50 on Sunday. Oh, very fun. And then after that class, I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be on a panel for self versus traditional publishing. 
Oh. I am in my kind of my day job, even though tarot is my day job, I'm also an editor and a writer, which is one of the reasons why I'm writing a book. But as an editor, I help metaphysical authors as well as fantasy authors hone in their craft, mm-hmm. make their stories come to life or make their information um, in their books, the metaphysical books, a lot better. And I've been published a couple of times. I've been traditionally published. I've also been non-traditionally published with small presses. Mm-hmm. I also have um, helped, like Ellen, put together her Dark Goddess Tarot companion book as far as actually doing the ebook publication as well as the print setup using InDesign. So mm-hmm. I lend that panel my knowledge on editing and how you put things together and whatnot. And I don't know if we're going to be focusing on decks or books, but I'm hoping that we can talk a little bit about both since that's kind of fun to do. There's been quite a little boom uh, in self-publishing of both actually yeah, decks and books. Um, I think decks mainly I see through the site Game Crafter, but also people have been kickstarting their decks. And um, a lot of ebooks have been created by uh, tarot authors. What do you, So if someone's going to go the self-published route, what are the pitfalls to look out for that you've, the main pitfalls that you've seen people stumble into? I think the biggest pitfall for self-publishing a book is to not have other people read it (laughs) and not have, not pay the money to have somebody kind of look through it to do some like quote unquote professional editing first. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, even I do this. When I write, I tend to miss things. One of my, um, when I'm writing a first draft, I tend to do the NaNoWriMo style, which is the National Novel Writing Month thing, where you write fast and furious, get it all on the page, and there have been times in my own writing where I start a train of thought, and then I go, oh, even better idea. Don't even finish that sentence. Start a whole new sentence. <laughs> and when I go back, I'm like, wait, what was I trying to say here? And I've seen some books, the worst of the bunch will do stuff like that. They'll publish like their first stream of consciousness, first rough draft, and expect people to implicitly and explicitly understand exactly what they meant. You know, you're the psychic. You're supposed to know what I was writing. And then charge you 99 cents. And charge, well, 99 cents or $9 or $15, you know, for things. Mm -hmm. The pricing kind of gets kind of fuzzy. Um, Me and my friends have talked about um, price things for for account like um, you know if it's a short story do 99 cents if it's like a novella maybe do between up to three dollars you know on up Mm -hmm. but the pricing to me is also effective for a ebook or a self-published thing where if it's a very short piece of work maybe 15 15, 15,000 words that's not even a full book size right i don't want to pay 10 bucks for that once no. you get a hundred thousand plus words, you know, for that same price. But yeah, the biggest fall is not editing it um, or having other people read it. Okay, so what's next then? The next biggest thing is layout. I think a lot of people, including um, Amazon, say use Word to upload your your book format. Word is not a page layout program. It's more. It's a word processor. It can do some pagey layout things, but I've seen some really poorly formatted books and ebooks out there. What would you recommend then to help with that? What would be a program or two that you've used or that you know other people have used that have been successful at doing a good layout, do you think? I know that if you take the time and learn Word inside out, 
that you can push it to become that because a lot of people do use that. I use InDesign, which is the professional grade um, page layout program. That's because in previous jobs, I've been a graphic designer and a bookmaker and all that whatnot. Um, I also kind of use Pages, which is a little bit better. It's Mac only, but it's a little bit better than Word because you can kind of trick it into doing some page layout. Okay. As far as eBooks go, there is a cross-platform app called Juto, J-U-T-O-H, mm-hmm. that you can download on Mac, Windows, and I believe they're working on a um, Linux version as well that I use for eBooks. And why I like using that for eBooks is because it will um, authenticate your code. So if there are issues and errors in it, it'll let you know that this is wrong, this is poorly formatted, you need to change it before you can actually export it to EPUB, Kindle, or whatnot. And it uses, you dump it in once, and then you can export it into whatever format you want. So it's a real nice way to get clean eBooks that look great out. And I've converted a lot of the stuff that I've written into it, I've um, I use that when I put together the ebook formats for the Dark Goddess Companion book, uh-huh. and um, yeah, I love it. And for writing, if you want a tip on writing, I use the app Scrivener. It's um, Windows and Mac based, and it's by far for me best writing app ever. I've tried it for blogs, books. So it sounds like a really great panel for the uh, aspiring authors to attend. What else? will be at the uh, Newts. Newts will have um, James Wanless and Barbara Moore as the headliners. Oh, very cool. A lot of other people. Let's see here. Gina Thies is doing something. Courtney is doing something. And uh, we have some other local people putting um, events on. I know uh, Katrina is going to be, Katrina Wynn is going to do a presentation as well as both Jay and Jadzia, the owners of uh, DeForest Publishing and, and the DeForest House, they will be doing their own presentations as well. There is also going to be an art show of various tarot-inspired art mm-hmm. by local and uh, I, I'm, you know a lot of it's local, but I know that there's going to be an, a national presence and it's kind of international as well because I know at least one person from England that's going to come and hopefully oh. she'll attend my class. <laughs> And um, I'm also trying to get all my writer friends who have never really experienced tarot and seen me do things to come and hang out. Oh, very cool. And it's going to be a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to that. So I'm just remembering there's a famous class you taught um, oh. about imbibing and tarot. And can you give us yeah. a little bit of information about what that included? So about three or four years ago at PantheaCon, I did a wine and tarot experiment, as I called it, the great wine and tarot experiment called Imbibe and Divine. This was inspired by a writing class I did for wine-inspired writing, and it was Thalassa's idea, hey, can you tweak that with tarot? And I said, I bet I could. So that experiment was me doing two things, dialoguing with everybody about their thoughts, the taboos, and things around drinking, because there's a lot of us in the community that are like, oh, I never drink when I do readings. I don't read for others who are drunk, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, why? Why do we have these? I've done both. Sometimes it's, you know, amazing the results you get. Sometimes it falls flat on the face. but Sometimes only figuratively. (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, thankfully. Um, I used to um, do three-card complimentary readings at a wine uh, bar, and that was always interesting to see who came and who well, hang was... on, real quick. Did something just get poured? Yes, uh, on purpose. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say something. All right, that. the 20th Century Fox special effects over here. Okay. Yes, <laughs> so. I'm going to do it again now, so oh. you're aware. All right. Okay. So There's wine being poured because tarot inspired life with the imbibe and, and tarot, so I thought that would be appropriate. And the class <laughs> isn't about... You know, it's, it, 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 we talked about some of the taboos and whether or not which side of the, that line that we would cross, you know, as a diviner, would we drink or not drink? Read a card, or, do a shot, read a card, do a shot. Yeah, or do we want to read for those that have, you know, partaken in a lot of drinks? And I've there's this one guy that I did a reading for at a bar, and to this day, he's like, you're the tarot lady. Can I buy you a drink? I mean, <laughs> literally almost 10 years later, and this guy's still wanting to buy me drinks because the reading I gave came true. And so that's the first half of all that is to get this out in the open, make talk, dialogue about it, and figure out is there a right way or wrong way, and, and just to kind of – which leads us into the second half, which is the let's experiment with a glass of wine. And this part of the class, the class was 21 and over. I made sure I had somebody check all IDs. It's not about, woohoo, let's get drunk and read cards. It's more about taking a glass or two and then op- letting the alcohol in it kind of open your senses up. Mm-hmm. Makes you a little bit more relaxed, especially if you're nervous, like teaching a class or talking on a podcast or standing in front of others. Imbibing a little bit of alcohol will calm you down mm-hmm. and allow that inner you or the the god the goddess the universe to come through and like i said i've had some interesting readings when i've when i've been imbibed or when my client was imbibed with stuff and that part of the experiment was that everybody got a glass or something and they were able to kind of do some readings using um a spread i created called tipsy or a spread that they wanted to use to kind of see how what new stuff came up and if they liked how they acted while under the influence or not. I took that class. And <laughs> right I can on. tell you that it was really fun because also the other thing that Jamie didn't mention is that she also had us try different wines from the area she comes from. And then also what did the flavor that we got from the particular wine, what card did it remind us of? And it was really cool. They're like, okay, so this kind of has this strong body flavor and, but then again, it's got a little bit of a, a bitterness to it. What could that be? And it was like my brain went, oh, the, the King of Cups. Oh, the King of Cups, of course. You know, those kind of things, which was really kind of, it was an interesting way to look at not just, oh, here, I'll do drinks or I'll do readings in a bar for drinks, but the drink that I'm drinking, how does it influence what I'm seeing in the cards or what does it bring to mind? And then, oh, hey, look, I pulled that card that went with that, that I'd said, hey, that wine reminds me of. At random, which was kind of cool. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, part of I mean, part of being in California and in the Pac Northwest is that we've got interesting soil compositions, fertile enough for wine. And I figured that year, well, you guys have a lot of good California wines. How many people down there have really had any tried any of our Pac Northwest wines? So I brought a couple of bottles of our wine um, that I had a friend of mine help out help me out pick based off of a flavors and just tastes as well as 
label compositions because labels on wine bottles also remind me of tarot a lot of the time. I'll go shopping for wine mostly based off of the dang label because mm-hmm. I like it. Or I'm you guilty know, of that too, actually. Yeah, it, it, when you look at a you know you look at a bottle and it's got a raven on it. You're like, ooh, ravens are cool. They're my bird, and you grab the bottle and it might be good. It might not be. Absolutely no. I'm a big fan of the. Uh, the reading while in inebriated <laughs> school of divination and uh to me so I'm glad that you've challenged that with your uh class and your uh spreads. So Thank you. very, very cool. And that's again going back to the whole tarot inspired theme that, you know, I try with my classes and the things that I wonder about in life is how can I challenge these assumptions or even challenge and push the tarot into these things? How does the tarot interact with wine or become wine or how can I use the tarot for um, an all-in-one altar, which is what I do? Or how can I create the spiritual path around the cards? Because I've always got a card, you know, a deck of cards on hand or on my phone, and I'm always trying to say, you know, how can I play with these? What can I do? And right now I'm actually trying to come up with, because last month was very hard for me and a lot of friends, how to really use the cards for grieving processes or for things that stress and challenge us in those uh, grieving sort of ways because um, I had some heavy hitting, you know, moments come up in my life and I ended up not touching the tarot for two weeks because I just couldn't get my head wrapped around those ideas. So it led me to start thinking, well, how can I do this? So that's something I'm kind of focused on a little bit right now is how can I use the cards to become part of the grieving process and become part of that dialogue of, what happens when, you know, we lose a pet or lose a family member or, you know, some somebody gets sick and how can we open up that dialogue? So I noticed, and mm-hmm. because, well, I was there when you were doing this, uh, you are studying with the tarot school. Yes, I am. I'm enrolled in their tarot correspondence course and I'm on lesson six of 12 for that. So mm-hmm. I'm Almost halfway through, but it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of hard work, a lot of writing, a lot of soul gazing and soul work, too. What inspired you to start this journey with this specific school? Well, kind of going in back to that tarot-inspired life thing, I figured I wanted to be kind of serious with tarot, not just as a hobby, not just collecting decks, even though I have a small growing collection of decks. I wanted to really treat it like a profession mm-hmm. and treat it like um, it's as an integrated spiritual path. And I kept going back and forth between the tarot school and looking at other stuff and, of course, all the books that I owned and whatnot. And I went kind of along the the lines of certification, not certification, which is a whole other can of worms and another podcast or two to, you know, talk about. Right. I decided that if I wanted people to trust what I was telling them, then I needed to kind of get a historical slash wide varieties uh, and in-depth training under my belt. And I think the tarot school provides that Hmm. way. It's like I'm, I feel like I'm literally getting a four year university degree in tarot. Nice. You you do know that when you finish, you will be one of seven. (laughs) The the noble and mighty seven. So what, what sort of things, um, are included in the, if someone was thinking about getting serious and thinking that the tarot school might be the way, what, what gets included in that uh, program? Um, they have two different um, packages these days. They have um, the one that I bought, which is the more expensive one, which was they mail you out 
packets the each lesson gets mailed out to you once a month. Now, you don't need to finish that lesson in a month, and actually it's going to take a lot of time for you to finish. I've been stuck on lesson six, quote-unquote, for two years now, because not, not just because I'm a slacker. <laughs> Sorry, Wald, but I've, um, I moved from Vancouver, Washington, here to Portland, Oregon, and I've had other ups and downs, you know, as life tends to get in the way. So right, right. you're going to be spending a good couple of weeks slash months slash years on the homework, uh, you get meditations, you get spreads, you get yeah. in-depth card meetings and symbolism and and information on each card. They use the Rider Waite Smith deck, so mm-hmm. you need to get the original RWS or the Universal excuse me the Universal Weight deck. Those are the only two decks allowed. So if you're kind of like me and you like the funkier decks and the the themier type stuff. You won't be able to use that, but that's okay because you'll get the historical background and all these card meetings to draw from. And then you can apply what you've learned in the packets in each lesson to your deck of choice that you're going to be reading with. After each lesson, you submit your work, and Wald and Ruthann has a, have a very specific format they want you. It's, it's almost like you're writing a book, and they're telling you, I want your homework to be done double-spaced, Times New Roman font, 12-point size, one-inch margins all around, which is almost a standard professional draft of what you would turn in with a book anyway. And you turn their homework, your homework in, they read yeah. it, and then at the end they'll tell you when they're available to have a call to discuss the work and any questions or concerns they might have. And then you either pass that lesson to go on to the next or they have you fix that lesson and resubmit it. Wow. Okay. So, so there's a lot of there is a lot of interaction, even though it is a correspondence course. That's really cool to hear. Yes, there is a lot. I've got a huge binder full of the twelve lessons, and I've also got P, um, PDFs of them as well. That it, you you either get like the the printed version mm-hmm. or the PDF version. But you've got both. Yeah, I I have both because I paid for the I think I paid like eight hundred dollars for the the max package. Wow, well, that's a good investment on, on, you know, establishing yourself as a tarot person and, and getting all of your history. And, yeah, you might as well be going to college. And you kind of are. And I am. And I've talked to Wald, and he's like, there are other they, – they have other programs there that's not just the correspondence course, that once you've done the correspondence course, you can do these other things. And it's more one-on-one, and it's more suited to what – perhaps you want to do. I have no idea what this stuff is since I'm not done with it. Right. But it's basically, well, it's been telling me, this is a university-style course. This is so in-depth, so mind-blowing, a lot of words. I think I've actually written over 100,000 words plus on these six lessons or five lessons I've gone so far in one audio course. It sounds like you've got another 100,000 words to go. Or more, yeah. I mean, each homework assignment is about 50 pages. All righty then. Goodness, my God. I'm going to say that is more pages than I ever wrote in college on a lesson. We want to find you online. Where can we we go and read some more of your tarot-inspired life? Well, I'm at tarotinspiredlife.com. That's tarotinspiredlife. Um, Dot com. Dot com. I have a, my coaching is called Inner Compass Coaching, and... I, the style of reading I do, it isn't predictive, 
Instead, it's more of a, it's kind of a conversation, but I don't talk in my readings. I have my clients talk. So it's a really kind of midwife their journey mm-hmm. as we look through the cards and try and find the path that they want to get to their dreams, goals, and desires. I'm also on Twitter at Jamie underscore Elford. That's J-A-Y-M-I-E-L-F-O-R-D. And I'm also on Facebook under Jamie Elford and Inner Compass Tarot. Well, very cool. Thank you, Jamie. It was great talking with you um, and joining us for this little visit and introduction to Pack Northwest and their tarot. Oh, yeah. I, I'm totally looking forward to Newt's and seeing what we all come up with. And hopefully I'll see you guys there at Newt's. And I know I definitely will see you both at PantheaCon in a couple of weeks. Thank you for listening to Tarot Visions, a podcast for the modern oracle. To keep the conversation going, please find us on Facebook at Tarot Visions US or follow us on Twitter at tarot underscore visions.